I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today, too. Now, listen, I've got some good news for you today. If you are a perfectionist, this is your Sunday, okay? Because you are going to feel better today when you leave than you did when you came in. Did you know that was possible? Some of you may take a power nap during my sermon. You may feel better. But if you stay awake and listen to the message, you're going to feel better today. You're going to be encouraged. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm really looking forward to this. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Today we're talking about the endless pursuit. And one of the things we pursue is an unhealthy pursuit of perfectionism. How many of you are hard on yourself because you are a perfectionist? Do we have perfectionists here today? Do you know any perfectionists? How many are in denial today about perfectionism, all right? Now listen, perfectionism is something we all struggle with. One day the preacher was preaching in church. He said, is anybody here who was perfect? If you're perfect, stand up today in church. One man stood up. He said, sir, did you hear what I said? I asked if you're perfect, stand up. Are you perfect? He said, oh, no, no. I'm just standing up as proxy for my wife's first husband. So, you know, you're not perfect. Nobody is perfect, even though you may hear about it. We're not. But here's what I want you to see. We are so wrapped up in perfectionism that we don't know how to give grace to ourselves. But what do we say to other people? Oh, don't worry about it. We give them grace all the time, but we won't give ourselves grace. You know, we, we look at ourselves and we show no grace to us. And so we're just caught up in deep feelings of shame and guilt and unworthiness. Now, to top it off, Scripture can be really intimidating. In fact, in Matthew 5, 48, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay? Well, who can be perfect like God? Anybody here? No. Well, what does that mean? We're going to come back to that. I want you to hang on to that because I've got some good news for you about that today. Be perfect just like God. Be perfect, never sin. Be perfect, never be critical of other people. No. If you battle the pursuit of perfectionism in some areas, then it's, it's important for you in order to show your image is not real, then what do you do? You try to cover it up. <clears throat> One of the places that happens is on social media. Have you noticed this? Everybody's pictures are perfect. Their life is perfect. Their marriage is perfect. Their kids are perfect. They live in the perfect house. They drive the perfect car. They are perfect. Everything about them is perfect. It's depressing just to look at that and see how perfect they are and how imperfect we are. And, of course, they doctor up the pictures on there to make them really look good, you know, right? Because you don't really look that good right? in reality. But, but people are trying to make themselves really look good. And so it's depressing. I, that's why I'm not on social media. I'm, I'm on anti-social media. That's what I do. I say, who needs that kind of depression and grief? Now, if you struggle with perfectionism, you may find yourself avoiding something because it wants, it, you can't measure up to your standard of what you think it needs to be. So you just avoid it altogether. You don't want to fail, so you don't even try. <clears throat> or you might find yourself obsessing over something just to get it right. And you obsess over it so much that you're ineffective and inefficient. 
realizing that perfection actually becomes the enemy of progress in your life. In other words, it's self-defeating to try to do what you do. Isn't that ironic? Many of us struggle with that problem. In fact, research shows there are three different kinds of perfectionists. And when I go through this list today, I want you to ask yourself, which category am I in? Maybe in more than one. And so how does it apply to me? The first type is self-oriented perfectionist. A self-oriented perfectionist. Now, what do they do? You put tremendous expectations on yourself. It's all focused on you and how you can live up to everybody else. You have this unrealistically high expectation of yourself, and so you actually battle to the point of inefficiency. If this is you, then here's some ways you can describe yourself. You procrastinate. You struggle with deep feelings of inadequacy. Oriented perfectionist is somebody who cannot live up to their own standards. And so because of that, they feel ashamed and guilty. Now, there's also an externally oriented perfectionist. And this is people who focus on what others believe about them. You believe that other people expect you to be perfect. So to cope with the pressure, you often use self-deprecating humor as a defense. You often feel very alone and depressed and secretly desperate. And you know, no matter how hard you try, you can never live up to and do enough to please others. And so you try to, to do all that you can, but it never works. And then there's the third group. And these are the others-oriented perfectionists. This is when you impose your expectations that are impossible on somebody else. You expect other people to live up to your impossible standards. You're a person who lacks empathy. You tear other people down by being abrasive and using demeaning humor toward those who do not meet your standards. Some of you had parents like that. Some of you are parents like that. And if you recognize yourself in one of these categories or more than one, there is a spiritual side to perfectionism. Now, perfectionism, it is wrapped up in a psychological issue, but at its root, it's a spiritual problem. Why? Because perfectionists are often covering up insecurities, fears, and sinfulness. It's creating the illusion of an external standard that if I live up to this, then somebody might like me, maybe even God. And go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were perfect and they were holy before God and they could live free and the pressure was off until they disobeyed God and they sinned and immediately they felt insecure, insecure and flawed. And what did they do? They took leaves to cover up themselves because they didn't want God to see their imperfections. Instead, I'm going to show you what I want you to see, not what I know is really there. A covering of insecurity and imperfection and sinfulness. Moses did something similar. He went up on the mountaintop. The glory of the Lord was upon him. 
His face shone because of it. But when he walked away from God, then all of a sudden what happened was that it began to deteriorate a little bit. It began to fade. And so he put on a veil to cover that up so the people couldn't see. And the veil was because of insecurity. That's why so often we show other people what we think they want to see because perfectionism covers up our insecurities and our fears and our sinfulness. So what do we do? At the root, it's a spiritual problem. Well, if it's a spiritual problem, then I need to go to God to get his help, don't I? And God tells us what to do in the book of Romans. In Romans, the third chapter, verse 20, it says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. No one. Who does that include? That includes you. That includes a person next to you. That includes a person in front of you and the person behind you. That includes a person who's watching online. That includes the person who's great and the person who's bad, the pastor, the priest, the, the uh, person who's holy, the 18-year-old girl and the 80-year-old man. Nobody can ever be made right with God by just following perfectly the commands of the law. So what we have to do is realize that we can't completely obey God's law. The law is simply there to show us how sinful we are. It's our own sinfulness. We can never obtain all the standards of the law. So why did God give us the law? I just told you. To show us how sinful we are. The law reveals in reality, we need help. We need grace. We're never going to be good enough. And you say, well, I'm a Christian and I try to follow the Ten Commandments. Well, you know, when you were a Pharisee in the days of Jesus, they didn't just have Ten Commandments. They had 613 laws and they were to reinforce the Ten Commandments. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. You think how hard it is just to follow the Ten Commandments. And we mess up all the time. What if you had 613 more laws that you had to follow just to be perfect? I mean, you'd just be messing up all the time. Oops, I just messed up again. You know, I'm sure I did something wrong. There's 613 laws. How could I not have made one of them, you know, something I broke? And so the problem with today's culture is this. People say, don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't tell me I'm sinful. Don't tell me I'm a sinner or I'm bad. I'm good. Don't judge me. Now, that's the culture of today. And actually, it's not really judging. It's telling the truth. The Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But the culture today says, don't tell me the truth. I don't want to know the truth because I already feel insecure. And if you tell me the truth, I'm just going to feel more insecure. Scripture says, your heart is deceitful above all things. You can't even tell yourself the truth. Now listen, I'm telling you the truth. We all lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else. I'm going to give you an example of that. You ever step on the scale and say, look, I'm losing weight. 
Well, that's not what the numbers say right there. Yeah, but I am. I'm losing weight because there's not a soul there to hold you accountable to yourself to say, no, you're not. You're just lying to yourself to make yourself feel better. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's standard. And our capacity for sinfulness is there and we can't live up to his standard. That's why it's important. It's not what that I want to make you feel bad about yourself. In reality, is it's this. You cannot know you need a Savior until you know that you're a sinner. You've got to know the truth in order to receive the truth. But the culture today says, no, 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 don't show me that. See, th that comes across as a bad thing, a negative thing, when in reality, it's just a lie from the pit to keep people from being honest and real about things. It shows that I need help. I can't be perfect. I can't live up to that. What can I do? How can I be made right with God? Well, Paul tells us in Romans, the third chapter, he says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we can be made right. It's not by religious efforts. It's not by good works. It's not by eliminating bad stuff from our lives. It's not by joining the church. It's just by Jesus and Jesus alone. Who is Jesus? He's the sinless son of God, perfect in every way, who hung on a cross and died so that we might be forgiven. He was the sacrifice for our sins. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, here's what happens to us a lot of times. We say, I know that Jesus died for them. I just don't think he died for me. See, I can forgive other people, but, but I'm not sure he can forgive me. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how much you messed up in your life. It doesn't matter how much darkness there is. No matter who you are, how can you be made right with God? It's not Christ plus the church. It's not Christ plus good works. It's not Christ plus getting rid of all the bad things. You're made right with God by Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. Jesus and Jesus alone. Because perfectionism is not grace. You see, what we need is grace, not perfectionism, the grace of God. Now listen, let me contrast these two for you for a minute. Let's contrast perfectionism and grace. Perfectionism focuses on what I do, my performance, my effort, my religious works. But grace focuses on what Jesus has already done, his righteousness, his goodness, his perfection. Perfection is all about me. Grace is all about Jesus. Perfection believes if I obey and if I'm good enough and if I'm holy, then maybe God will love me. But grace is much different. Grace starts with the love of God because God loves me. Because he accepts me through Christ, I choose to obey him and a response to his goodness. Perfectionism says, I need to win God's approval. But grace says, because of Jesus, I'm living in the approval 
of God. It's not by works so that anyone could boast, but rather it is the grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, the pressure is off. So be free. Embrace the grace. Step into the goodness of God. You don't have to be perfect to please God because of what Jesus did. I said not too long ago, God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for pursuit. Pursuit of Him. You ought to write that down. That's what Robert and Janet were talking about a few minutes ago. Hey, we're all a work in progress. It's not something that we attain, but it's something that we strive toward, and God works in us. Grace takes the pressure off. I want to give you two thoughts for application. First, I want you to choose people over perfection. There's no better illustration in Scripture of this than the story of the two sisters who held a dinner party for Jesus at their house. And their names are Mary and Martha. You've read the story before. You know about it. If Jesus were coming to your house to eat, would you just slap something together? What you want? I don't know. We'll grill out some hot dogs, maybe, you know. Let folks fix their own. What do you think? No, they're all wrapped up because Martha especially says, I want it to be perfect. Now listen, if you're a perfectionist and you want it to be perfect when company comes over, what about Jesus? If Jesus is going to show up, I mean, how are you even going to determine what is he like to eat? What am I going to fix for him? What am I not going to fix for him? Let's say he's Jewish. He probably won't eat pork, will he? I don't know what to do. I'm trying to figure out what will make everything work out right, right? And so I, I'm all wrapped up in that. Everything had to be perfect, and that's Martha. And, and then Mary, what's she doing? She's just sitting there happy as a clam, just spending time with Jesus. Martha's doing all the work, and Mary's doing nothing. And Martha comes over there, and she gets perturbed. Jesus, will you look at my sister Mary? She's not helping me. Tell her to get up and help me. And what does Jesus say? But the Lord said to her, he says, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now listen, I want you to catch this. Somebody's got to cook. Somebody's got to do the work. Somebody's got to prepare or we're all just going to sit there hungry with our stomachs growling, right? But this, what this is saying is, Martha, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, let's fix it, but let's not over-obsess about it perfection. Choose people over perfection. Mary's saying, I'm not going to always have Jesus sitting right here. I want to focus on him. Yeah, dinner's going to be good, and I can help with that, but hey, he's the one I really want to focus on. So when you have somebody over, it's the relationship with other people, right? I mean, that's really what's important. And then second, choose perfect love over perfect performance. We can choose perfect love that is of our Father rather than performing to try to impress him or somebody else. Now, why does this matter? Because there's a spirit of perfectionism. And what it does is it's trying to cover up our deepest fears and insecurities and sinfulness. What's your greatest insecurity that you're trying to cover up? 
For some, it's a deep feeling of inadequacy or shame <clears throat> or guilt or fear of rejection or a fear of being judged. But wait a minute now. Let's go back to what Jesus said earlier in Matthew. Didn't I read a while ago we're supposed to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect? If you're a perfectionist, you really need to tune in right now and listen to what I'm telling you, okay? Intentionally, I quoted that verse out of context so I could read it to you in context. The context of Jesus' teaching in this portion of Scripture is not about performance. It's about love, okay? Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors, and, and are not even the tax collectors doing that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, he's saying it's easy to love somebody who loves you. But what about the unlovable people? The tax collectors love the people who love them. But what about the people who don't love you? How can you be like Jesus and love them? It's all about love. He says, actually, he's not talking about behavior. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not talking about performance. He's talking about being perfected in love, okay? Love as you have been loved. Be mature and complete in love. It's growing into the perfect love of God. That's how God loves us. That's how he wants us to love others. Now, there's one assignment is not to convince people how good we are, but our calling is to convince people how good God is. It's not about performance. It's all about Jesus and grace. So I want to help you try to understand this in conclusion. I want to just share with you an example that might be helpful to you. When you have a small child and they first start learning how to walk, what do they do? They fall down a lot, don't they? And you don't look at that child and jerk them up and say, you pathetic excuse for a child. You can't even take three steps without falling down. I'm going to trade you in for somebody who's more coordinated. No, you grab that baby up and you say, you did so good. And you pat them on the back. You say, let's try again. And they start walking and you're their biggest fan. All you do is encourage them. And what they do never changes your love for them. Now listen, your father in heaven does not withdraw his love for you when you fall down. How about that? He continues to love you because there is nothing that you can do to cause him to love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to cause him to love you less. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I pray that you heard that. Because love is not something God does. Love is who he is. Jesus takes the pressure off. So we don't have to be perfect. We're not looking for his approval because of Jesus 
We're just responding to the love that he's given us. While we were still sinners, Scripture tells us that Jesus died for us, and he had no guarantees that we would ever take advantage of the grace that he offered. There was no contract sign that said, if, if I die for you, then will you accept me as your Savior? He just did it. And you got to know that you need a Savior in order to realize you're a sinner. You've got to, to apply that to your life. And the world today says, no, I don't want to know that. But they need to know it. Perfect love over perfect performance. People over perfection. Be mature and complete, unconditional, undeserved, unreserved love because of the Father, the pressure is off. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, the pressure's off. Don't you feel better? I told you today, when you left, you would feel better than you did when you came in. So, Father, help us to embrace your grace and to show your love. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now, go out and have a good week this week.